think actually if you can build a a community of equally minded you know geeks and nerds of the stuff that you're geeky and nerdy about then actually that is how to you know kind of insulate yourself from any issue in the long term uh from any downturn perspective or uh, but also to garner other passionate people who believe similar things that you do and who can really bring those things together I'm Eric Fulweiler, and this is Scratch, bringing you marketing lessons from the leading brands and brains rewriting the rulebook from scratch for the world of today. All right. My guest today, some guy named David, is it Breer? 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 Whichever. Breer? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. You called me a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, man? Good. Busy, busy, but uh, but good. It's been a been a funny old year for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, it's really good to see you. Apart from the fifteen minutes that we just spent chatting, mm-hmm. I haven't talked to you in. Well, I haven't seen you in person in a while with COVID and everything like that. Yeah, it feels like a long we time. Talked in a bit, and, and actually, I mean, uh, your first week when you joined Eleven FS was here yeah, as well. So it feels, I remember it feels oddly Lots reminiscent, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So literally, my first day landing to this. Not only my first day at Eleven FS, my first day in fintech. Yeah, this was the, my welcome to that the world. Money Twenty Twenty Festival. Yeah, yeah. so it was amazing. There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of people I still, you know, still really good friends and connections now that I met that first week, so. Everybody looks looks a little bit different, don't they? I've bumped into like 10, 10 or so people where I'm like, you look like that person that I knew three years ago, but uh, <laughs> the lockdowns hit different people in different ways, isn't it? So I should say, we are recording live from Money 2020 in Amsterdam. We are in the Money Pot studio, and I've been told that it's going to get very hot in here because there's no fan or air conditioning, so we're going to keep this to time. We are going to be talking about how to build a brand to disrupt an industry, something that you have a bit of experience in and I know a lot of perspectives and advice on. We have not prepped for this at all. Literally, you said before we walked in here, what are we talking about? And I said, look at the title of the uh, episode, and away we go. So David, how do you build a brand to disrupt an industry? Um. <sighs> sort of one slice at a time to a certain degree in terms of what, what, why are you setting out to do that would be the the question. Because I, I think a lot of people start businesses because they want to achieve something. And what is that thing that you want to achieve? Um, you know, for us, it was very much about sort of two angles, really. There was a, a view on the industry that's kind of stagnated. And actually, well, what do you need to do in order to get cut through to to help those people? Um, and then the other side of it for me in terms of building a business was to build a business that I really wanted to be at, you know, and I wanted other people to want to be at in that sense as well. So kind of from my perspective, it was, well, how do you build a brand that, that disrupts? It's like, well, I wanted to disrupt not just financial services. I wanted to disrupt, um, you know, corporate life really in that sense in terms of what it means to you know, be in business in that sense as well, which sounds very highfalutin, but, um, and it sounds very grandiose in the sense of like, well, this is the mission that I set out to achieve. And it's not really that, if I'm honest with you, it's, it's almost just learning from all of the bad experiences of a bunch of places that I've worked at. Well, how do I not be that? Yeah. And, and how much of it was a kind of structured, strategic, great, we're going to build out our brand platform of what our point of difference is, et cetera, versus something that just came naturally. Because you had a bit of a marketing background. You also had a computer engineering background and a product background and a semi-professional basketball background. But um, you know, with the marketing background, how much of it was kind of something that was just naturally there with you, Jason, Simon, the founding team, versus something that you had to kind of craft? And then I guess a follow-up question would be, I'm assuming 
keeping that point of difference and continuing to deliver on it as the business and brand scaled was a different challenge in itself as well. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, my background was marketing, you know, like, and actually I started in marketing, I mean, from computing to affiliate marketing, it was a weird, you know, jump in that sense. What was the affiliate marketing? Uh, so literally before I started, a, a, the a first real job was a company called Foolproof. Um, but I worked for nine months at an affiliate marketing agency before I started in financial services at mm. all. Uh, and I loved it. Like it was fantastic because it was so quant focused and it was, I mean, it was back in the dirty days of affiliate marketing. Do you know what I mean? It was like white text on white background stuff to kind of bunk, bunch up your SEO. But, but it was about, well, how do you create and how do you infiltrate a system? How do you exploit that system to benefit you in some way or form? You know, and search rankings was the thing that we were trying to, you know, not hack, but, you know, and not manipulate in a in a particularly negative sense. But how do you create advantages for yourself in that yeah. sense in terms of what you can do? So, and that's really what marketing is, isn't it? You know, marketing is about garnering attention in that sense. And, you know, how can you do that in the most cost-effective way, really? Um so was it purposeful with 11FS? Like, yeah, you know, like yeah. actually was it, um, it was purposeful to bring those group of people together who had uh, differences of opinion that was interesting. And then really it was about a lack of, a lack of marketing budget that made us go in a certain direction in order to to do things. Because, you know, I've said this a bunch of times before is like, you start a business with five people. I mean, Deloitte hire, I, I mean, JP Morgan hired out seemingly the entirety of Schiphol Airport on the way in, you know, like we couldn't do that. So, well, how do you really compete? It's about what you do in that sense, you know? Yeah. Um, but I mean, back to your question around how do you build a, a, a brand in that sense? I mean, I, if anybody listens to any of the content that we do, we purposefully, and you know this, Eric, we purposefully don't really talk about what we do. Um, and that's important because I think the the beliefs the beliefs that you have i think are much more important to align on with people than the thing that you do because if it was just a buy 11 fs's stuff podcast then actually what's the fun in that and what's the benefit to the listener of that whereas actually if you're if you're actually conveying your convictions you're conveying your beliefs well you can connect with people in a much more meaningful way in that sense yeah so there's a few things i want to draw out and double click on i want to talk about the point of differentiation i want to talk about um, your comments around budgets, because I really believe that constraints are a big driver of creativity. Sure. Um, and then I obviously want to talk about, and I'm sure for a lot of the people listening, they're very interested to hear from you directly on how you built a media company around the brand. And actually, you know, in places like this, I know you were in the podcast booth earlier when I was here three years ago, my first week at 11FS, we had a podcast, like we were there as media as much as, as anything else. But going back to the point on differentiation, because I think... 11FS has done such a good job of standing out in a good way. You know, financial services, consulting, corporate life, as you call it at the highest level, is so cluttered, so beige, and 11FS really cuts through that noise. And, you know, now, and maybe it was there from the beginning, but now you can boil that down to truly digital financial services, the um, kind of brand pillars of provocative, authentic, and human. But um, I guess my question is, or... I build on that slightly and then I'll come to a question. I think so many businesses, particularly B2B businesses, 
In order to build a successful brand, a brand that disrupts an industry, you need to be relevant to the audience you're trying to reach, but also differentiated from the other brands that are there. Yep. I think too many businesses focus on relevance and don't put enough effort into differentiation. And sure. I think particularly in today's day and uh, you know day and age, when literally, I mean, look at us, every business is a media company, whether they intentionally do it or not. There's so much content, so much competition for attention. Differentiation is the X factor, really. And actually, I always use the example of the best gut check of whether you're differentiated enough is whether you could take your logo off your marketing and it could only be you. It mm -hmm. could not be a competitor. And I think 11FS, I always throw that out as the example. The stuff that 11FS does, it couldn't be Deloitte. It couldn't be another management consulting firm. So I think some some of that lends itself to tone, though, doesn't it? In, in that, and, yeah, and it's, it's what you say and it's how you say yeah. it, right? And, and I think that's that's where we have tried, we, we've intentionally created differentiation in that sense. Because I think there's, um, uh, I, I really hate bandwagons. Like I hate the, okay, everything's Web3. Or like, you know, okay, well, what's the cryptocurrency? You know, who's your cryptocurrency expert? Because all that stuff is is transient. You know what I mean? It's like, actually, this year's trends of like, you know, what's hot in fintech type thing. Well, if you're known for that thing, when that thing's not hot, well, you're not hot anymore. Sound like Paris Hilton, don't I? I don't mean to. But, you know, the idea that actually, what are you known for? You're not known for, you're known for being at the edge of what possible is. You're known for being, you know, 11 is, is meant to be about creation of outside of the normal range of, you know, one to 10. Yeah. So actually being known for that belief system around, that's why we, you know, we always talk about digital banking being 1% finished. And we will always talk about digital banking 1% finished because it's not a, it's not statistical significant in terms of what it means. It's a mindset about there's always more we can do. There's always more we can achieve. And you know this, I mean, we talk about it internally as much as externally, which is, you know, 11FS is 1% finished. We will always stay hungry. We will always stay uh, motivated to keep evolving ourselves. There is very few things that are sacred at the business in that sense, in terms of things that we will always hold on to. There's the, you know, the values, the attributes of the code of conduct of how we operate as a business, but everything else is up for, you know, two years from now, throwing it away and starting again, because that's how we know we're evolving to to meet the demands of the market. You know, it's, it's basic evolutionary steps, isn't it? It's just breaking it down into, you know, how do you deploy that in podcasts and social media, you know? Yeah. Um, and actually just building on that, I mean, one of the things that we talk about a lot, obviously we work with or try to build successful challenger brands, mm -hmm. and that can be startups and scale-ups, of course. That's kind of the stereotypical challenger. But it can also be more established businesses. Really, any business can be a challenger if they think and act with the right mindset and model. And actually being a challenger means essentially being fit for purpose for the world of today. Yeah. And in order to do that, you need that beginner's mindset. How would you do things differently if you were going to start them from scratch? So you kind of need that cultural and strategic flexibility to be able to not necessarily throw everything away, but at least ask the question, is this still fit for purpose? Yeah. Do we need to do something else? Do we need to push ourselves further or differently? Is it is it relevant? Is the market moved on? I mean, we, we've uh, talked about this in the 11FS context before. So we, you know, yeah. sh sharing our conversations, but it's like, look, if the podcast, if people don't care about the podcast anymore, we'll stop doing the podcast, you know, because actually you do it for a benefit of, and, and I think that's that's the other thing is like, I think there's a big difference in the mindset of corporate organizations. Marketing is DR. You know, it's a direct response thing. You're expecting to put some money to generate this amount of leads to do this amount of thing. But if you're if you're really trying to create a differentiation from a brand perspective, you've got to take a, a much longer game 
plan than that in terms of what you're trying to build. And I think it's all about community, really. I think actually, if you can build a, a community of equally minded, you know, geeks and nerds of the stuff that you're geeky and nerdy about, then actually that is how to, you know, kind of insulate yourself from any issue in the long term, uh, from any downturn perspective, or uh, but also to garner other passionate people who believe similar things that you do and who can really bring those things together. And that's not just, um, you know, potential customers. That's like, we do crazy amounts of content and it's like students pick it up or regulators pick it up or you know, random people outside of the industry pick up to kind of get into it. There's no real benefit to 11FS from a, a revenue perspective of that. But actually, our vision is about changing the fabric of financial services. And there's no way with, you know, the small company that we are, you know, even if we meet all of our, you know, wildest aspirations, there's no way we can change the fabric of financial services on our own. So we know that is a community thing. We need you know, tens of thousands of other companies to think similar things that we do to get to the point where actually we can really make those things happen. So I think it's it's a mindset, you know, it's really kind of comes back to like, what is marketing to people, you know? Uh, and actually, I think that's where, you know, we just have a bit of a different view on both the expectations in the short term of what marketing really generates for you, um, but also the a much higher expectation of if you're really consistent about what you do, what fundamentally the returns can be. So let's talk about the media company model, because I think that's a lot of what you're alluding to. So, you know, obviously that's a lot of what I spend my time on um, working with you on kind of developing that structure, actually splitting the media marketing team, bringing in Tobias, who's the head of media for a while. Now it's all being run by Mariette. Um, but, but literally, and obviously this was there before I got there, but literally the way I thought about it, the way that we worked on it in the time that I was at 11FS was we're not building a lead gen marketing machine for 11FS, we're building a media company for financial service professionals around how do we change the fabric of this industry. So was that there from the beginning? And how do you think about it now? Like, how does the media company model fit into the early plans for 11FS and where you are now? Um, I, I think the... I think the the makeup of almost like hires into a business is almost like shaped by the uh, the nature of the founders. If I'm honest with you, you know, like we we kind of had Simon, who's really good at talking. Jason is really good at talking. I mean, you're all really good at talking. Uh, and actually, <laughs> you know, being in a situation where it's like, well, we're all also really bad at editing, or you know, the other side of the equation in terms of doing those things. So, I mean, Michael and Laura, who are here today, you know, as part of the the 11FS media team. I mean, they are what Michael was like employee number one. And I think Laura must have been up there as like 10 or 11 or something. So, you know, it very much was in the the sort of ethos of the business from the get-go. You know, we, have, we had no plan on doing, you know, paid media in the sense of paying other people to market. But actually, I think that's where you think about it the other way. It's like, actually, what's the value exchange? Well, actually, if we've got a, a really differentiated point of view, and actually we've got a, a platform that we can create uh, that differentiation for other people, well, that's something that's beneficial to us and that's something that's valuable to other people. So I, I think it's a, again, it's thinking about it the other way. You know I mean? Like, I mean, you know, this, there's not many marketing departments that make m revenue, you know, like, so, yeah. um, but actually from our perspective, that's something that we, from the beginning, we thought, well, how do we capture some of the conversations? You know, the, the sort of ecosystem in the UK in 2016 was sort of really shifting and shaping in terms of but and then some of the conversations we were having were just other people needed to hear those things so actually how did we uh, I, a lot of people sort of talk about privilege in more of a a different way from a you know a dni perspective but we were in a privileged 
perspective to be able to have conversations with really senior people at banks just because we asked and you know you know my whole don't ask don't get type thing it's like if you just rock up and ask often you get to talk to people you know like gary like how we met you know we said hey gary v can, in fact actually i think it was uh who was it from our team who got in touch with you didn't they I don't remember, to be uh, honest. And, I remember the interview. And next next minute, me and Jason are sitting there chatting to, to Gary Vee and, you know, talking about these types of things, you know. And at that point in our, we were saying this before we started recording, but at that point, you know, we were asking Gary, we were doing an interview, but we were asking him for advice, like on yeah. like our own business problems that we were dealing with. And it really helped us. So it's really, stuff like that really sticks with me, which is like, there is there is things that have come through for me through doing the interviews that we've done with, you know, people like Gary or, you know, Patrick Collinson or whoever, like where it's like materially shaped how I think about how I run our business. And that's amazing. So hopefully if there's like 10 other people who get any material benefit out of what we do because of that, then that for me makes it really sort of worth doing, you know? Yeah. Um, but again, I I do think it kind of comes back to it's like, what really is marketing, you know, because actually, you know, it's sort of everything. It's, you know, walking around with your badge on here. It's like being present in the community. It's it's adding value to that community in that sense. Um, I think people get too distance from the process of marketing and the the people that it impacts. You know, big brands kind of lose connection with their customers. So their marketing is like a spreadsheet with some numbers in it. It's not the the reality of the manifestation of the services or the products that they really offer to people. Um, and again, we just think differently in that sense, which is if people think about 11FS, we want them to have a, a positive feeling, not just be like, they're the guys who, you know, do those banking things, right? You know, it's like, actually, we want them to have a positive affiliation with the brand um, because we want to help people genuinely. So how do you now and how did you at the beginning think about the commercial side of this, right? I mean, you hired two people just to produce content in the first 10 hires of the company or whatever it was. And, you know, one of the questions I get a lot when we talk about the media company model um, and conversations that we have with clients or potential clients is, well, essentially, how do you justify the ROI? It's less that direct. And it's more like, okay, I buy it, you know, focus on focus on the customer, focus on adding value through content, it's going to do good things in the yeah. long term. But a lot of businesses don't have a CEO like you that are comfortable with making that investment. So what advice would you have or how have you thought about it through the evolution of 11FS of like, hey, you got to make this investment actually without trying to tie the investment to a short-term return. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's um, there's sort of uh, sort of three concentric circles that we sort of deal with in that sense, which is like, you know, there's things that we want to do. There's content we want to produce. Uh, there's content that we know other people will want to produce with us. And then there's things that other people want us to do that we don't want to do. Uh, the other things that people want us to do that we don't want to do, we do those incredibly rarely. Um, just because actually it's not worth the short-term negativity, you know, like why would we do something that doesn't materially benefit the community or us in the long term in that sense? Uh, and the things that actually sit in the mid middle of the things that we want to do and other brands want us to do, that's where the sweet spot is, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the, um, you know, the, the, the challenge with that to a certain degree is like it's it's kind of e e it's easy now like because yeah. we've got a podcast that has yeah, a scale. bunch of people listening yeah. to it therefore we've got leverage in that sense but at the beginning i mean we got 
uh, I won't say who, but somebody paid us £80,000 to do the podcast when we had zero listeners and like we'd done two episodes and my editing was shitty. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, so it's all about how you position it. You know what I mean? It's all about how you, uh, you sell what it's going to be and what it stands for. Again, it comes back to beliefs, you know? If I, kinda, if I went to somebody and said, we're going to start a podcast, we've never done it before, I've got no experience doing it and I'm terrible at doing it, nobody's going to give you any money to do it. You know what I mean? But actually, if you tell people what it is for, what it stands for. And I still remember the you know the pitch pack that I sent around to a, two or three people of like, this is what I want FinTech Insider to be. It was loosely loose women and top gear for FinTech. Uh, because, and, and actually, and really that's what it is still. You know, it still is that. It's that, you know, have a laugh, can be wrong. It's about camaraderie and entertainment as much as it's about the subject matter. And that's why I think people like it, if I'm honest with you. You know, I know we've talked about it. Often we've gone, we've had conversations where we're like, why do people like this? What what do they get from this, you know? Um, and it is, when we've asked, it comes down to the relationships of the people on it rather than necessarily the subject matter. So. Yeah. And so was it profitable from day one? Is that how you justified the expense of hiring producers uh, investing and building out the media in the early stages because um, I think I think that's the that's the pain point of the hurdle that a lot of marketers out there are trying to get over if they want to do this is they can't you know the model in order for it to work you can't be focused on short term return sure. if you only put out content that is going to bring you a client that's going to direct sales that is by definition driving the value towards you yeah which is the opposite of what the media company model is bringing the value to the audience so a lot of them i know struggle with how do you justify this to a cfo how do you justify this to yeah. a ceo that's like what's the roi in a 90-day window so is it making it profitable from day one no or is it something else no i mean we we would um we would have done it all in without sponsorship you know because actually um we would never have expected it to go as well as it had done, but we knew we could garner some momentum in it, you know, pretty quickly in that sense, you know. Um, but in terms of the profitability of it, then it's, you know, it will never really, the ROI of it is always the work, the content you do today pays off two years from now. Right. Uh, and actually, you know, you've got to kind of think of it in that in that term, which is it's, it's part of the business, you know. When... Um, I mean, anybody's in the business, you know, with uh, what we do with with ventures, it's like, actually, it's part of everybody's business. It, you know, it's part of everybody's job to be involved in the media thing. It's not a, uh, a an aside. It's an important part of it because it's essentially the shop window. It's our yeah. shop window, you know. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I don't. I think that, that exactly to your point, I think that's where people kind of get stuck on this stuff, which is like, okay, how many people downloaded this report? Yeah. And it's like, well, that's not enough. I'm not doing it anymore. But it's when you're creating a, you're, you know, you're operating in a very crowded market and actually there is, particularly now, I mean, at the beginning when there was like 10 other podcasts on in, in FinTech, we will actually differentiation is quite easy to create. But actually at the point where you're, if you were starting it today, you know, you've got to have the momentum in it and you've got to have the uh, stamina, I think, to to really see the benefit from it. But again, that comes back to how you do it. I think, um, you know, marketing is in single factor. You know, I think yeah. a podcast or a you know, a blog or a, you know, a, a newsletter or, a, you know, long form reports or, I mean, we've done a documentary a couple of times or we've done short form, you know, like actually you've got to kind of find the different medium for the right types of people. And then that, that just cloud of content you can put out there, um, you know, just from a search engine optimization perspective is incredibly beneficial to your brand in the long term. But yeah, I don't think a lot of people have the stamina enough, as you say, to, to really, wait for the benefits. They're too quick to, you know, want to eat the cake before they've made it. 
So you actually led me to the next question that I wanted to ask you, which is, if you had to start over from scratch today, so you alluded to a little bit how you would think about it, but let's get really tactical. You leave 11FS, you set up 12FS tomorrow. What are you doing from a content and media standpoint? Is it another podcast? Is it something different? How do you differentiate? Where would you start? Um, um, well, I'd have to say in our shareholder agreement, there are some pretty explicit <laughs> things that I would say that I wouldn't do that. But um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the model would be very similar. I don't think it would be a podcast now because, you know, we're in a we're the incumbent in that sense in terms of what's there. So I don't think we would do a, a, a podcast because it's a game you kind of can't win. Um, so it makes it it makes it difficult. You know, I've, I've always said to you, it's like, I don't like going into fights I don't think I can win. And therefore, well, why would I do that? Do you know what I mean? Um, so I think from a media perspective, I, I still think social media is the most effective way of creating brands. I think the difficulty is, is that people have got quite good at doing it from an individual perspective, but they're not great at doing it from a brand perspective. Uh, and that's the challenge. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't, uh, if I, uh, I, I've purposely poured every single ounce of, you know, personal credibility into 11FS because actually that's uh, an asset. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm hoping 11FS lives a lot longer than I do. Therefore, actually in the context of an asset, then that's where the, the value really needs to be, you know, and that's where the value puts, you know, uh, money in the bank and pays everybody else's salaries because, you know, me being me on my own. And and this, uh, again, was a, almost a, a thesis at the beginning of the, the business, really. It was my, the sell to to Jason and to, to Ross and to the guys was like, actually, you know, we talked, me and you've talked about this a number of times before, this Avengers model, uh, you know, we could all do things individually and it would be great, you know. But actually, if you really have to come together and do something uh, significant, like change the fabric of financial services, you don't do that on your own. That has to be a, a network of people. It has to be a group of people because it's just too bloody hard to do it on your own. You will never, you'll never be able to port uh, the right level of momentum or brand uh, in if you're just an individual. Um, and that's why I think a lot of organisations really struggle. You know, you get a um, a good one but don't have the the two and the three to kind of follow that up. Um, you know, we'd definitely not be anywhere near as successful as if I was on my own and we, I didn't have, you know, Jason or Ross or whoever to to be the, the second and third in that sense. Because, um, you know, not only from a podcast perspective, but things work best when they're, you know, they're dialogues, not monologues. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, it's probably good for me to stop monologuing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it wouldn't be a podcast, but you would probably still focus on social you'd get the right kind of people around the table. And I think that's such a good point because that is, you know, honestly, there's the strategies and the tactics of how you think about the model, the channels that you go on, the type of content that you do. So much of it comes down to just the quality and that comes from the people, Yeah, you know? And so, you know, I think that's a big part of, you know, part of it was right channel at the right time in terms of podcast. There wasn't a lot out there kind of uh, won that market as it were. But part of it is also, you know, people wanted to listen to what you had to say and how you wanted to say it. I, so I, I think, think part of it is like who you put behind the mic, who you put behind the camera, who you put behind the screen. Yeah, I, I think definitely, um, again, found a bias to a certain degree. It's like, uh, I am not a written guy. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm, I put our newsletter every week now 
And I have to really be like inspired to write about something else. It's, it's really hard. Yeah. Whereas actually just having a conversation and so video or audio is really easy for me. Um, you know, ask me to write a 3000 word, you know, essay on, you know, open banking and like, it's going to take me a year to do it. But if you want me to just sit down and talk to somebody, I can do it with no problem, you know? So for a different set of founders, they'll find a different bias that actually a different medium will be most effective for them. Um, but I think the powerful thing about audio and video is like you get the meaning meaning. Um, and actually, uh, you know, the the intention, you know, a big part of our brand is about being authentic. It's about being who we are, you know, all of us being who we are. Uh, and that's really hard for bigger brands to to compete with, you know, to your point, point earlier on around sort of differentiation. Well, actually, if you've always got to toe the party line, then we can't all have a conversation and disagree with one another because that's not the corporate approach, you know. Um, but audio... And we got this wrong to start with. If you listen, go back and listen to the first sort of five or six episodes of Fintech Insider, we uh, removed the the ums, the ahs, the pauses, the whatever. And it was, and I listen to a lot of podcasts now and some podcasts that I kind of go on to where I'm like, yeah, you know, that hour long conversation became 20 minutes, yeah. but the 20 minutes is factually very good, but you don't get the warmth or the understanding or the relationship with the people. It's less authentic. 100%. Yeah. And so, we're less engaging. Exactly. And yeah. you really, why are we doing it? We're not doing it to, you know, sell some open banking stuff or whatever. It's to to be really create a relationship with the community that we really feel passionate about. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's how I like to run this podcast also because like you, I'm much more of the, I want to show up and have a conversation with somebody. I don't want to spend, you know, five hours prepping and five hours editing after the fact. But also because I think that it's the most natural. You know, mm -hmm. we we technically have standard questions. I didn't even bother sending them over to you for this podcast. But most of the time, it's just like, let's have a conversation and just forget that there's a mic yeah. in front of you. And it just leads to the most authentic, the most engaging, and hopefully the most valuable content, because that's what it is at the end of the day. I well, want to go back. Well, just, go just on that, sorry, yeah. to, particularly on, uh, like, I think audio stuff, like the, the amount of feedback we get from from people where it's like they're listening to the podcast while they're, uh, you know, commuting or they're listening to while they're cutting the grass or walking the dog or whatever, you know, like, I think when people are choosing to engage with you, they're not choosing to just download you know the the latest pieces of information into their brain they're doing it because you know we say it's it has to be as entertaining yeah. as it is informative because if not if it's not fun then what's the point you know and, and actually both for the for you know the people in the room in terms of actually doing it um but also for the people listening you know yeah. if you don't if you don't get some sense of um entertainment from it i think people will just switch off really quickly and, i would for sure and to me it all comes down to value information or informative delivers value, but entertaining delivers value. And it's a whole other spectrum of value that I think you need to tap into in order for your content to be competitive. And it also is a huge way to be differentiated. You know, I think gone are the days where you could just put out something that's informative and people would appreciate it yeah. because they have FinTech Insider and they have all these other companies putting out content and experiences that are informative and educational. So it's not enough just to kind of have the dry information anymore. So I want to go back to something that you touched on earlier that I think about a lot, we talk about a lot, which is community building. So I'd be curious for you to just unpack that a little bit. I know obviously there's the After Dark events that are a huge kind of rallying point for the community that you all have built around the 11FS brands. I know this was before I got there, but there was also kind of like a... Uh, like a Reddit forum type thing mm. that I know you all tried to do that was kind of a community play. But how do you think about community? And you touched on it a bit at like the foundational level, how important it is, how it's kind of 
not a byproduct, but it's part of standing for something in the industry is people come to you, you're a lighthouse, you're a magnet, people with a shared perspective rally around that. But then how do you actually build a platform for people to connect with each other? Because that's essentially what community is. Yeah. I, th I think it's, it goes back to that point around uh, creating dialogue rather than monologue. You know, actually, we we purposely create opportunities for people, for us to talk to people and for people to talk to us. Uh, and I think, I think that's really important. You know, particularly in a podcast sense, it's like, I mean, it doesn't, f the podcast doesn't feel any different now that we're putting out to hundreds of thousands of people than it does when we put out to three, you know what I mean? And one of those was my mum, you know what I mean? Like, so it's <laughs> like actually being in a situation where you don't change that thing that you're doing f because the magnitude of it changes, but you've also got to work out ways of engaging and bringing the community into what you're doing, whether it's the what's working, what's not working, what's uh, what's resonating with people in terms of the, the the content or what, you know, what can you do better to evolve things, whether it's uh, the topics you want to deep dive on or or anything really in that sense. But but I think it, it is all, all, you know, all content I think is just provocation for, for engagement really. Um, I think that's why, you know, when you said, you know, provocative, authoritative and, and human, the provocative one, I think is so important. Like there's such a, I think the authoritative bit makes sense because it's like, well, only talk to talk about things that you know about makes sense. Human makes sense because it's like, well, actually this is about being, uh, talking about language, talking about things in a language that anybody would understand, you know, and we get a lot of feedback on that, which is like, you know, students can pick up our content and understand it, but we also talk about it with enough clarity that the CEO of a bank doesn't feel like we don't know what we're talking about, you know? Um, or if we have to, we can really jump into the, to the weeds with, with people in that sense. Um, but the provocative one, I think a lot of people, brands fail quite miserably on, which is like, well, they've done a crypto report. We need to do a crypto report. And most organizations are just stating, you know, commonly held facts. Um, I really think a lot of people sort of, I remember my mum said to me when I was little, it's like, if you've got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. But I honestly think it's like, if you've got nothing interesting to say, don't say anything at all. Because actually, if you don't have something where you're adding value to the community, then all you're doing is just, it's just another echo of something else that somebody else has said, you know? Yeah. And I find that, if I'm honest with you, I find that as a bit of a weakness of many conferences today. It's like, man, I've heard these stories like 50 times and I've heard, you know, that comment or whatever. It's like, I feel like if you're not adding newness to those things, um, which if I'm honest with you is, is an interesting challenge. After you've done 650 episodes of a podcast and, every, and a bunch of people have listened to all of those things, you go into a meeting, them having quite a disarming sort of advantage over you when it comes to knowing what you know, which is, which is interesting. But that for me actually... Somebody was saying to me earlier on, I was chatting to, it's like, well, you know, when you build a business, you start focusing more and more into to running the business than working in the business. But actually, you know, I'm I'm still as fascinated about fintech and financial services as I was when, you know, I first got into the industry or first started 11FS. So I think if you've got a job where it's your passion as, as much as it's sort of your job, then you kind of just stay on top of all of those things to stay relevant as well. Yeah. And so much of it is just down to, and you were kind of talking about this before with your concentric circles that may or may not have been a Venn diagram. I was trying to visualize it. Yeah, yeah. sort of. Yeah. Maybe a bit of both. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of documenting the things that you're doing anyway. And that was a big push that I know we both made at 11FS and you were talking about it before as well. There's so many brilliant people at that company doing so many interesting things with such unique point of views on what's going on. How can we get more of them just to kind of share their thoughts and share their opinions? There's so much quality content locked up within the people of probably any organization. If you're a marketer in a company, 
probably unless, you know, you're the second hire, there are a ton of people there that you can just put a mic in front of, put a camera in front of, to your point of find the thing that people are comfortable with yeah. and that will help unlock the content. I think that that's a huge piece of it. It's it's an interesting challenge though. And, and this is, I mean, it's something I haven't really talked about publicly, but different people react to that in really different ways. Yeah. Um, and actually, I mean, it's something that, um, you know, as your company scales, hiring's like so important. Um, we've, you know, we've got that wrong in a few instances sometimes, but uh, presence, I think it all comes around, you know, you look at that authenticity point that we talked about earlier on. It's a difficult thing. The podcast gives people like, a, a false sense of reality sometimes, you know, because you can bump into somebody who you've never known before who have listened to you 500 times on a podcast and that gives some weird sort of like micro fame thing that, and, I, and I've seen that go to people's heads mm. uh, who run other podcasts or, you know, even, you know, people that we've had working at 11FS, it, it sort of distorts their view of the world in that sense. Um, but that's why for me, I think, again, it's like, it's not about, it's not about you. It's never really about you. You know, if you think, if you think the things that we do, like the spotlight shows about the people that we bring on, the news is about everybody else. You know, it's like, actually, you've got to, if you can create a platform that benefits other people more than it benefits you well then it's likely to be really successful um to your point if it's marketing where essentially you're sitting there you know let me tell you about feature this new feature that we're releasing blah blah well actually that's never really going to work because that to your point you're are you setting the gravity up for you or are you setting the gravity up for the industry and I think that's where, you know, I think that's where we really draw the line from a, a, yeah. a differentiation perspective, you know. But I do think, and maybe this is not what you're saying, but I, I do think that it is about the person as well, right? Kind of somebody coming up and saying, oh, I heard you on the podcast, that go into their head. That is a related but separate thing for me. But I think that in order to do this well, I mean, you even said it yourself, it's about the camaraderie. It's about the people and their relationship Definitely. with each other. So you can't really... You can't really extract the person and their personality from the content. And there is a, you know, personally, I don't view it as a downside, but I know there is a cost and a risk to building a business that has a media company that kind of elevates people's personal profiles because then they have an opportunity and more demand to potentially go do something else. Sure. Um, and to me, that's kind of a cost of doing business because I think the pros outweigh the cons, but um, that's I think, part of it as well. I think that's definitely another reason why I don't think corporates like that type yeah, of for distribution sure. you know the you know the tone of voice uh the the differentiation of opinions uh it makes it really difficult i think for them to manage that sort of tension in that way because uh i remember when i was at gartner uh you know i ran gartner's uh, digital banking capability before 11fs and actually you know, there was a lot of concern about social media and the presence of analysts or anybody working at Gartner from a social perspective, because it dilutes the the brand narrative. Um, you know, if you look at 11FS, we are we are purposefully very thin uh, at a brand narrative perspective, and and actually very consistent in those messages. You know, again, digital banking is only one percent finished, right? You know, we're we're going to stick to those things in terms of what we're we're looking for, but we give the individuals within the organization, you know, their own personality. And I think that's super important because again, you know, if you had to learn the, you know, the 15 mantras of whatever, and then, you know, distribute them and everything, then, well, that's not you. That can't be authentic. That's the brand manifestation. That's no real person, you know? Um, I think if I'm honest with you, I think this is why corporates struggle more broadly though. And startups had actually have an advantage. Um, definitely, I know with, you know, brands me and you've worked on before, it's actually, if you don't have a 
a founder narrative, sometimes it's actually very difficult to to anchor, you know, your brand principles or, you know, the 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 values of of what what are you creating and why are you creating it? Um, you know, definitely when we built out something like Mox with Standard Chartered, getting to grips with, well, who is this for? You know, who's on the front of this ship kind of kind of pointing in the right direction because this is going to get hard, you know, and actually you need that consistency. You need the the voice, you need the the physical manifestation of, yeah. of that brand. And that's where I, I think back to your point, you know, yes, it's hard to distinguish between the person and the business in that sense. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it has to bias towards the business yeah. than than the po- the people. Yeah, I mean, I I agree in that sense and at that level. And actually, I'm kind of reflecting on how we've thought about building the rival brands. Like, I do not want it to be Eric Fulweiler Consulting. I did not want that from the very beginning, both because of who I am and because of, you know, it's inherently less scalable, a person, and less sustainable. But it's weird how many people do want that, isn't but it? I think it's a different thing. There's, it's not kind of right or wrong. It's just about what you want. Yeah. And, you know, I made the decision that, you know, I want to build a company with my co-founders and the team. Um, and so there has to be someone in front of the mic and I'm very passionate about and really enjoy doing this. And so right now it's me, but people will hear more and more from an RDR, Dubose and Jenna and other people on the team as we grow. And I really want how we communicate and what we talk about to be the rival message, but it has to get delivered through an individual because otherwise it's less engaging, less yeah. authentic, less valuable at the end of the day. So I know that we're, we're getting up on time. There's one other question I wanted to ask you and then we can move into wrapping up. Um, So we've talked a lot about what I would call kind of the baseline content from 11FS. The podcast, even After Darks, even though they were kind of bigger activations, they were kind of something that you did consistently, blogs, white papers, et cetera. But also, and you mentioned it a couple of times with things like the documentary, there are what I would call breakthrough activations as well. And so, you know, probably people listening to the podcast have heard me talk about baseline and breakthrough and how you need both. How do you think about that? Because I think that was something that you always push for. You know, when I joined, you weren't, obviously you were doing the content, but you weren't involved in like the day-to-day production of it anymore. But you were very involved and pushing in a good way to make sure that the team was consistently doing these breakthrough activations, things that were a bit unexpected, that were different, that were like one-off, that really cut through on top of the baseline content building over time. So how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I um, it's weird actually. I sat down with Marriott yesterday, and we had a, a you know H two events meeting to sort of make sure that we were are we challenging ourselves enough? Are we pushing ourselves enough? You know, and then there's there's two things, which is is there a is there something big enough that's been not told or not told in the way that we would want to tell it? Um, but the second part of that is really I, I kind of see it more as a challenge to the team to kind of keep growing and expanding their capability. Like Michael had never recorded a podcast before. Before he started recording podcasts and we we never shot a documentary before we shot a documentary you know um you know the, the first video interviews we did was with my iphone you know what i mean so it's like actually I, I honestly think uh big big companies kind of do something successful and then sort of ossify around it but i think i mean laura and michael wouldn't still be at the business if they were just still doing the same thing over and yeah. over and over again so i think there's an element particularly with really creative you know brilliant minds is like giving them more and more interesting things to be creative with really um whether that's you know the the kit to use or whether it's the the subject matter to to go at or whether it's the uh, the manner in which we're kind of capturing or recording those things so so i think the i think breakthrough content i think is important though because it kind of allows you to kind of create a bit of a, a tent pole around the things that you matter most um 
And actually, I think in an industry, you know, as we say financial services can be pretty dry if you do it wrong in an industry where it is changing so quickly. But actually, there are so many things that are very misunderstood. Um, I mean, the latest series that we've just done recently is just breaking down some core principles of actually what banking business models are. And it's amazing how many people work in financial services, but don't understand that. Um, and actually, it's amazing. We, I mean, we put that content out for us. Uh because actually we'd created it internally as a on-ramp for for the business. You know, it was about building a a content library to allow us to explain to new joiners uh, the interdependent pieces of financial services and why they matter. And we did it in a way that actually we could just kick all that stuff out to people. And and now we've had, uh, I won't mention the names, but there's a bunch of companies who use that on their onboarding now to explain those things to people. So it's like, dang, we should have, we should have charged for that, you know? Um, but, but that's why, again, the community, the community could be a rival of our business. It could be whatever, like, Three years from now, they might be working at 11FS or four years from now, they might be working at Visa and want to work with 11FS or whatever, you know? I think you've got to take a very different view on community when you're building content in that way. Great. So we are almost out of time. Also, it's getting pretty hot in here. So last two questions to wrap things up. What is one thing that people listening should do differently after hearing this conversation? I really think it's just, I think the limitations for creating content is is so so you know the bar is so low now in terms of getting in and making it happen i think most people are just terrified of starting um god damn like if i can create a, a newsletter and kick it out every wednesday given how enable i am at actually writing anything then anybody can do it um so go and start you know whether it's recording something a, a thought you've got on the industry and putting it on linkedin or whether it's doing a linkedin live and putting it out there or whether your medium is writing and you kick out a blog every you know couple of weeks like do it but then set yourself a target like hold yourself accountable to it because it's really easy if you know, suddenly, if we just stopped doing the podcast because we got a load of work, well, we wouldn't yeah. ha be where we are now. You've got to make it part of your routine. You've got to document versus create, you know, like we've talked about a million times before, right? If you document the process of doing the things that you're passionate about doing, it never really feels like effort. Last question. Who else do you think we should have on the show? So, I mean, one of the guys that I talked about earlier on, Dennis Govan, I'd definitely yeah. bring Dennis Actually, on. Actually, you know what? I've been messaging with him and he, we were trying to do it in London, but it didn't work out. So, yeah. He's so, good. Dennis, I mean, Dennis um, ran, ran as the CEO of uh, Mox Bank over in Hong Kong, which yeah. is a, an organization that 11FS helped start up. And I'd highly recommend him as well. Uh, actually, you know, from a culture, from a marketing, from a from a tone of uh, a tone of the business, tone of the culture, tone of yeah. voice. Um, for working within a corporate, he's the most startup, uh, but corporate literal person, literate person that I've ever kind of come across. And he's here, right? You said yeah. you bumped into him earlier. All right, we'll see if I can track him down. All right, David, so good to see you. Thank you for doing this. Thanks to Money Twenty Twenty for hosting us, giving us the space. It's a fantastic event this year. Feels amazing to be back in something like this. It really, really does. It. All right, man. Cheers. See you soon. Scratch is a production of Rival. We are a growth consultancy that builds challenger brands, strategies, and capabilities to disrupt categories. If you want to learn more about us, check out wearerival.com. If you want to connect with me, email me at eric at wearerival.com or find me on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, share with anyone you think might enjoy it, and leave us a review. Thanks for listening and see you next week.